When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Who are the top point guards in the NBA? What do the Wolves need to do to turn their season around? Who is our pick for the MVP of the NBA? The only question left is, say it with me, you win? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on my buddy, Coach Dave Dufour, uh, who is also the host of his own podcast called That Guy Basketball Podcast and a contributor to B-Ball Breakdown uh, and um, a coach uh, as well as I am who sees the game very similarly, although I hope that we can argue about something today. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Great. And the other thing is we're going to plan on doing this every week because we did a post-game show after the Clippers Warriors. If you haven't seen it, head over to our YouTube channel and watch it. And uh, it, w- it went so well, people just were, were clamoring for us to get back together and do something. So here we are. Yeah, this is going to be great. You sound uh, so excited. No, you know, I was adjusting my seat. I wanted to uh, make uh, sure I see my statistics that I've pulled up to answer these questions. Uh, okay, good, good. Well, that is another thing is we actually went over to the NBA Reddit page and I posted a little thing to say, give us some questions that we can answer on this podcast uh, and outsource some of this work that we had to do. And guess what? We got a lot of fantastic questions. And I love being able to shout out the NBA Reddit page because it's really great stuff. I don't spend enough time there. I pledge to get there a lot more than I ever have with uh, my, I guess I'll have to do it in bed when I wake up or something like that, right? That's the good time yeah they you know their their iphone app is actually pretty decent now and it makes it really easy to browse all your favorite subreddits oh i i okay i will have to download the, the uh, that app i had no idea there you go shout out to reddit all right well let's keep going with it then and let's get right to the uh, the first question that i see and i'm doing it by best comments which i think is a good way to do it is uh Butum asks why would someone pay a whole dollar to watch one of your videos now, let's be clear here. It's actually 99 cents. It's not a whole dollar. 
you know, and so <laughs> that was important. That that is important. And I'll tell you why. It's the best Nick show you're going to watch anywhere, even on broadcast TV. Twenty five minutes plus of just raw, straight breakdowns, analysis, advanced analytics, uh, interviews with beat writers from the New York, you know, media. Uh, it's great. And uh, Dave, have you watched one of those? I have. I've. You showed me the the preview of the first one before you posted it. It was fantastic. I look. There's an argument to be made that it's better than watching the Knicks play themselves. You know, <laughs> to just for you to sit and point out, you know, not just that it's about the Knicks, but it's basketball in general. You know, there's another question here later, which I'm sure you're going to get to. So I'm going to jump the gun on you. But it's like, how do I learn more about basketball? I'm new to basketball. Well, these Knicks uh, kind of uh, breakdowns that you're doing. That's a fantastic way because it's so much more in depth because you get to focus on one team and you you know the series itself like you go in steps it's not yeah. just you know, one big overarching theme. So yeah, you really and, get into the minutia. And the other thing that's cool is like they keep running similar plays. And so you can see the progression, how they're doing. And I'm, when I point those out, like here's that same play that they use where they screen away and then the guy turns around and sets the ball screen for that same cutter after he got the ball. And then someone else told me it's recently that it's actually right out of Dan Tony's uh, six, uh, seven seconds or less, which I kind of, I guess, forgot about. So, uh, you know, another one of those great things where um, you can just sort of see the progression of a team and follow them through the year which is something i had never really done before so that's why it's worth 99 cents uh plus tax or minus that is with tax or with no tax so um anyhow let's go on to the next question then which actually is real quick real quick before yes. you move on i want to add to this real okay. just one second okay because I, I i followed that message thread or that question <laughs> thread and it you know we've become so accustomed to everything on the internet being free to us yeah. That we miss the hidden costs in creating the content. Yeah. So, com I mean, you know, I, you're not going to say this, but I'm going to say it. Complaining about 99 cents f from a guy who has put out, I mean, how many hours of content have you made, Coach? I mean, I've done over 1,500 videos, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like, let's not complain about the six bucks for the six videos that, you you know, you've done. Like, <laughs> I, I just, so that's just. My little bone to pick, and you can edit this out if you want. Hey, um, no, that's going to be the quote in the graphic on the Twitter tweet that I sent out for the link to this, so <laughs> for sure. There you go. Uh, well, let's move on to our next question, I think, which is Russell Flexbrook, good, good name, asks, who are your top five point guards? Um, that, I'm going to throw it to you because I don't do these lists that well. I always screw somebody or several people because I don't sort of think about it enough. Who are your top five? Well, I hate the term point guard, but I know what he's saying. Um, uh, and, you know, all right. Well, any of these lists have to start with Steph Curry. And I see that people are already calling you out for being a Curry lover. But Steph Curry is the two-time defending MVP. Last year, unanimous. Had one of the greatest individual seasons of all time. And guess what? This year, there's been very little slippage. So uh, Steph Curry, definitely number one. Um, two, you know, it really debates – Two through four is kind of like, what do you like better? I'm going to go with James Harden, two. Russell Westbrook, three. Chris Paul, four, um, because I think he has slipped a bit. And then at five, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, wow. Okay. Sure. Um, interesting. So we, we got Harden in the mix now as a point guard, which is cool with me. And Russ needs to be in there for sure. So I, I, I kind of get fuzzy on the whole order here. 
you know, I, I just like watching Steph. I like watching skill. I like watching, you know, shooting. I'm sorry. And, you know, the way he plays, and I love his, his celebrations and stuff are just, you know, it's fun. It's, it's basketball. So uh, I, put, I would put Curry in front. Uh, you know, Harden and Russ are pretty close. I did a video of them, and it was like it's really hard to figure out who is above whom. Um, but, yeah, who else did you have in there? You had uh, besides Giannis? Chris, Chris Paul and Giannis. Right. So Chris Paul, the gold standard. But there's something off, and it could just very well be uh, he's not, a, not the nicest guy to play with. And I think that can finally, five years in, be rubbing uh, guys enough where there's just something missing on that team. We talked about it in the, at the end of that uh, in our postgame show. So, But he's certainly still, like, the top five. And then, yeah, I mean, Giannis, I'm trying to think of anybody else right now. It's, it's, uh, there's kind of I mean, a next John year. Wall. Yeah. John Wall is fantastic. And so, you know, probably John Wall. The Giannis thing is really just to make a point that, you know, that guy is incredible. So like, let's say John. I'll say John Wall because John yeah. Wall, is he's so good. Right. He scored and, 52 the other night. And it's, and it's really horrible that a guy like Mike Conley, again, cannot be in this conversation because of the injury. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see. But like Conley and Lowry and those guys are in like the next tier anyway. So uh, great question. Well, yeah. let's, let's move on to our next one then, which is from uh, – oh, he's got, he's got a Milwaukee Bucks uh, thing here, a uh, little emoji. Incredible Mr. Joe asks, is Giannis a future top five player in the league? Uh, future, he probably is close, right, as it is. If you were to ask – I bet if you were to poll NBA GMs uh, what guy under 24 they wanted to start a team with, I bet he is – two-thirds of the league are going to pick him as the guy. Um, what he can do on a basketball court is just incredible. And the fact that he can do all this without being able to shoot, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's nuts. We've never seen a guy like this before. Right. And, and by the way, he's also so young, and I think he's also young as, as far as basketball experience. So that's the other thing is he's he's so far behind catching up on, this, on practicing and skill and working on his game uh, that that's, that's what's scary about it, I think. Yeah, well, not only that, he's super moldable and everyone loves him, like as a person. And that matters so much. Um, I read a story and I don't know where it was. It might have been on on Reddit, but um, apparently during Giannis's rookie year, he was wiring, he was in Milwaukee and he was wiring money home. And he, uh, I guess, didn't bring enough for a cab fare back to the stadium. And so he was running at a sprint because he had a game in two hours and someone pulled over and was like, uh, you're Giannis Antetokounmpo. Can I give you a ride somewhere? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, look, the guy, the guy's great. He's super personable. Um, one of my favorite tweets of all time is the one where he had a smoothie for the first time and just talked about how great America is because he had a smoothie, you know, and he has fun when he's playing, which like, just like Steph Curry, that stuff matters. I think future top five, certainly, but, um, you know, that stuff is all relative anyway, but I think he's he's at least in the conversation right now, top 20. And it's amazing for a guy that just turned 22 years old. Absolutely. In fact, I owe him another video after my last year's video on him. And uh, I was hoping to do it on him playing center because I was kind of hearing heard swirlings about it. But when I dug into the numbers, it turns out he really doesn't play much without John Henson or uh, Monroe out there. Um, so I just, you know, I couldn't find a lineup where he played very many minutes at all. Uh, as like the tallest guy, you know, on the team or, or you know, the, the biggest guy on the team. I think he, I think that people um, saw him as as playing center in a few of those defensive possessions because he's he's a very active weak side helper. Right. And that's where he gets a lot of his blocks, sort of like what Kevin Durant's doing right now in 
in Golden State. And so he kind of looks like a center because of the way he's helping and the way that Jason Kidd is using him, which is, I mean, it's right. He's been doing a great job. Jason Kidd is underrated as far as I'm concerned in what he's doing with this team with no shooting. Right. Yeah, that's true. Now, and then that said, um, I, he still should try it because you put Giannis on a center and he fronts him and he's quick enough to front a guy, you're not going to lob it over him. I mean, if you do, you're probably hitting the rim or the backboard or out of bounds, um, you know, with a little bit of pressure on the, on the passer. So uh, we should look at that. Uh, now, I guess, and then the other problem is, okay, the shot goes up, he's now on the wrong side. But if there's anybody that can tip it out or can kind of spin and get in there, it would be him. So... Um, I, he, I, I, if Jason Kidd's listening to this, please play Giannis at center. Well, also there's the, you know, he'll have more opportunities for defensive rebounds, which turns into Giannis in transition. And that could be fantastic offense for them. I mean, their transition, transition offense right now is really fun to watch. And especially with Jabari Parker, uh, looking more athletic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be something, um, you wouldn't want him banging with like Joel Embiid or, you know, Marcus Saul, but certainly against some of the slider centers in the league. Right. Absolutely. For sure. Well, let's let's move on to our next question here, which is Tim Thomas is my God. And he's got a son's uh, emoji, which uh, I don't think anybody else is going to feel that way about Tim Thomas. But certainly uh, he must remember <laughs> that one playoff series he had against the Clippers or something like that. Or maybe he was on the Clippers against the Suns. One of those one of those playoff series. Uh, he, his question is, where do you see the best realistic fit for Cousins? Uh, I, I've actually been to several practices uh, and seen Cousins in up close, and it's not good. Uh, he's not a great teammate. Uh, he screws around. He screams at, at teammates. Uh, you know, I, one time he went off, and, and it was like a it was in the preseason. You know, nothing little five minute scrimmage, and he starts screaming at one of his teammates. So, and then storms off, and he's sitting in the training room. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess the tr the traditional wisdom would be, oh, go to a veteran team that wins a lot, and he'd be able to get in line. But I don't know. Yeah, you know, I know this guy probably wants us to say Phoenix, um, okay, but I just think? don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> see that as a good fit. He needs a. He needs a. I mean, like you just said, he needs a strong front office. He needs a strong head coach. Um, but preferably a coach that can relate to him. You know, that's an issue. Like Mike Malone, when he was there, he's been the only coach to be able to actually relate with DeMarcus Cousins and, and to have a relationship with him. Um, Dave Yeager, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, things don't look good there. You know, how do you go from training camp till a week ago or whenever it was that he finally talked to Omri Caspi? Now, I know that whole organization is a mess, but Dave Yeager's new. And, and had a good reputation. Um, and, and so now I just don't know. But as far as fits for Cousins, <sighs> you know what? Chicago. Because okay. of, I think, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler. Um, he and Rondo got along well. Um, I mean, they're both kind of head cases. But I think D. Wade and, and Butler are strong enough personalities that, that you could handle Cousins. I don't know how you make that trade happen. Um, you definitely Taj Gibson, probably Doug McDermott, um, uh, Robin Lopez, you know, you, you're throwing lots of yep. quarters at him. Um, but yeah, that's, that would, that's probably the only team I could think of. The Spurs would never touch him. Right. Because of the personality stuff. And you know, all the Boston talk doesn't really make sense to me because one of their big things is that, you know, they don't have any, any of these negative personalities in their locker room. Right. So right. I know Danny Ainge would love to have him because he's a star, but I, I think the personality stuff 
would cause uh, Brad Stevens to to want to shy away from it. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, and Cousins or Stevens didn't seem to do that well with Rondo. I mean, they said all the right things uh, in the press, but you know, it just—I don't know—it just didn't ever felt like that worked either. Either, um, you know, you got to think about teams that you know would, could use him. Uh, and I don't—I don't even know if it necessarily has to be the sort of like culture thing where they're already been winning and they have these vets. I mean, I don't—I don't know if that would really change him anyway. Um, is it like a Rodman thing going to the Bulls, which you know you could see how that worked? But that had, you know, it was Michael and Scotty and Phil. I mean, that was a, a rare confluence of people in one spot. So um, you know, like, does he try and does Portland need him? You know, could they get him because you know this experiment with Izzy so far has been a real bust, and it's too bad because he's kind of like what they need. Um, and I, if I had to think of a team that would have a chance to compete for a championship if they got him. Uh, I don't know McCullum and Lillard, and you know they have some good pieces that might that might do it for them. Yeah, and and Lillard is a strong personality. Yeah, you know, guys guys are going there to play with him, and all you hear out of Portland is how much all the guys love him. He puts together all their off season, you know, training stuff. I mean, that could be. I mean, it'd be an interesting fit, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think that if Cousins could go to Chicago, I think that puts Chicago in the conversation. Um, for actually being a challenger to Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly not now. And then, that, no. that you know, they would probably be, yeah, I could see that being an issue because, um, yeah, he would he would hurt, he could hurt the Cavaliers, but then again, he can hurt, hurt the Bulls too while he's on the same team, on their team. So we'll have to, we'll have to see how that works out. But uh, you ready for another question? Sure. Okay, so we have Hata Trotsky, 33. So we got a lot of things going on in that name. Um, Trotsky, we got Larry Bird's number, or it could be Kareem. Um, it says, what do the Timberwolves need to do to turn this season around? Looking for some realistic coaching decisions that might involve rotations, defensive schemes, etc., instead of just get older and more mature. And you know what? I, I, that My exact answer was going to be get older and more mature, and he beat me to the uh, – he knew what I was going with that. So, uh, Dave, what do you think? Uh, is there anything that very specifically you can, you can target that would help them? Well, I think, I think the first thing to do is to put in perspective what this team is and how – outlandish the expectations were for this team this year. They, you know, there were people saying they were going to win 50 wins, you know, have 50 wins. They were the OKC Thunder team that made it to the to the finals. You know, yes, they have young, good young talent. They, yes, they have a great coach. Um, but they are lacking the veteran leadership. Now, Brandon Rush has been injured for most of the season. I think as he comes back and, and gets on the court more, I think you you could see some of this stuff stabilize a little bit. Um, I know uh, Thibodeau is looking for deals out there for for a veteran that can come and play. I'm sure he wants Taj Gibson, um, you know, yeah, somebody like that. But as far as what they have on the court, I think you, you just I think you just got to let it take let them take their bumps. And maybe this isn't going to be a, a good season for them. The defense has really been their problem. They're scoring like crazy. Um, they've got they've got a good offense, and they've got three guys in Levine, Wiggins, and uh, Towns that are averaging over twenty points a game. That's incredible mm-hmm. for guys that young. Um, I actually knew Levine was going to have a great season, but Wiggins has surprised me uh, quite a bit with his shooting until the last like ten games or so. Um, so I think that it's just you got to let them take their bumps. Unfortunately, it's the boring answer that you, this guy doesn't want. Um, but they do just kind of need to, you know, in the NBA, you have to learn how to win a little bit. And the other thing is, and and this may be a little controversial, but 
Um, I wonder what their practice schedule looks like on their off days. And I wonder if we don't need to take a, a deeper look at the minutes that some of these guys are playing. It seems like they're and, and I wonder I also would love to have like a, a a bug's eye view of what the halftime locker room looks like. Because they come out in the third quarter and they lay an egg in every single game. And I wonder if it isn't a combination of fatigue, overwork, and if uh Tom Thibodeau isn't working these guys up a little too much and then they come out they're they're a little too jacked up going into the game and then they're just exhausted after the first half so it i mean it's tricky you know like these are human beings that you're dealing with and so it's hard to predict um and especially for guys this young Co- what do you think coach <laughs> well i was looking at their five-man lineups and just to see because i i have to imagine some of the root of the problem is going to be with um like who is playing with whom and that's always been the issue with coaches when you get in there and you realize i know x's and o's i know how to teach whatever but no one and no one can or has can tell you like who, what the alchemy is for five-man lineups it's just you know really hard um and when you look at the top you know thir- uh, let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven the, the top 13 most played lineups in minutes, right? Only four, one, two, four of them are actually in positive net rating, right? So he's like the, the majority of his lineups are just not working right now anyway. The, the, the starters are negative 10. They're getting blown out, basically. And I don't think that's limited to just like this third quarter notion. I think it's sort of a problem altogether. So that's his, probably his biggest issue. So, you know, there are guys who are most likely not Thibodeau guys that he's going to probably have to, you know, move on at some point sooner than later, maybe before the trade deadline. Now, the thing is, is he too busy coaching to be the GM? But, you know, like Shabazz Muhammad, you know, he's been doing okay in a little bit I've seen, but I don't know. He doesn't really seem like a good Thibodeau guy to me. Um, and that's one thing. And, you know, so Chris Dunn is, like, is one of those guys, right? And, and he has, he's been struggling as a rookie a little bit, as an older rookie, but... Uh, so I would think that there's going to probably be some moves that need to be made. Um, you know, Jang has not been the defensive presence. And we'd seen him come in in Chicago and right away turn that defense around. And that's why I thought that's the easy part. He can get that done. Um, but, man, it's, they, they just really are struggling on that end. And it's really strange. It, it's, hard, it's just hard to fathom a, a Thibodeau coach team not doing even average on defense. Yeah, Carl Anthony Towns has been bad on defense. Um, Wiggins is not the defender that you expect. Levine's been a little bit better, at least by the eye test. You know, this is just, you know, me watching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Rubio has been, been good. Of course, the shooting issues are, are a problem. Um, Dunn, like you talked about, has struggled, although the last couple games, he, you know, he had a great game last night. Um, he's coming around. Uh, Georgie Dang is kind of, part of the problem, but I think that he's better than anything else, any other option they have on the roster. Mm-hmm. Cole Aldridge is a backup. I mean, he's not a starting center in the league. Like we know this, right. like the, the scouting report is in on him. He's a very good backup, Yeah, but you know, he's not, he's not moving the needle as a starter. And I think that it's just, it's just going to be a matter of Tom Thibodeau figuring out how to work with these guys and to get them to execute his scheme. And maybe he has to adjust his scheme. 
Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen this before. I'm looking at their by period uh, net ratings. Uh, you know, in the first quarter, they're nine po- plus nine point nine. That's like they're you know doing very well every first quarter uh, on on the average, and then their third quarters are negative twenty six point four. And I don't think you're going to find any other team that has that big of a gap between the first and the third. Which the first and third should mirror each other to some degree, right? You probably have the same rotations going on. So uh, it's worth a breakdown. I, I just had uh, on the podcast today we released. Um, I had uh, Steve McPherson, who's the covers the, the Timberwolves, and we had a nice discussion about it and uh, it's definitely worth getting into some more footage to figure that out because you're right it's it could be mental but it's it, it's just a weird anomaly and uh, either that's just going to eventually after 20 more games smooth itself out or uh, you know we're, they, they're going to figure something out and and, uh, and maybe change it so let's uh let's we'll have to keep our eye on that one you ready for another question Let's do it. Okay, so now we have a Raptors fan asking, uh, please feed the dino, asks, can a team built around a traditional back-to-the-basket center win a championship in today's NBA, or is small ball pace and space too difficult to overcome given the talent stacked on Golden State or Cleveland? Um, maybe I'll jump into this one first. Uh, I, I, I don't believe you can ever say that there, this one particular style is dead and will never win. You know, I just I just refuse to believe that. Like for for the Memphis Grizzlies out there and those kind of people that don't have the shooting and they have the big guys or whatever, there's always a way that you can you know limit the advantage the other team has and and you know win. Um, in a theoretical world, certainly where you know things go the right way. So uh, I don't think so. I think a back to the basket center could certainly uh, you know dominate like Shaq did, and and a team could go very far with that. This is such a complicated question because you really have to – you can't just think, okay, um, do I plug in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a center playing his game can win you a championship today, okay? Yeah. Now, you need uh, you need shooters around him. You need him to be a good defender. Um, you need – you know, you just need all these things. Now, can – I mean, Jaleel Okafor is a back-to-the-basket center, but he's not going to win you a championship. No defense. Um, But it goes to the next level. You have to think about how player development, starting in youth basketball, doesn't work on footwork anymore. And this is part of why post-up offense is inefficient. These guys don't know how to score in the post. It's it's also you're guarded one-on-one, and it's tough. You know, like you don't have space. You're not you're not able to do very many dribble moves or it's all ball moves. It's all footwork. And so these guys don't have the skill. So if you're going into a lab and you're creating me a back to the basket center that plays good defense and has proper footwork and and has Kevin McHale like moves. Absolutely. You can win a championship with that guy for sure. I mean, you know, but but that's given the way that player development goes now. I don't think we'll see that for a while. I mean, Joel Embiid's got great moves, but I, he's not going to, as a back-to-the-basket center, he's not going to win a championship because that's not – the the value in his game is his ability to stretch the floor. It's a, his ability to put it on the put the ball on the floor and make moves to the basket. His face-up game is where the money is for him. For sure. Um, so, yeah. So, like, it's a tricky question. This is why This is why I love basketball. Because I can answer this question and, and give you like 15 other topics to talk about. So, yeah, it's a good question, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I, and I think that, you know, it's just a question of when we're going to see that guy. And that guy will be a unicorn, unfortunately, because, yeah. you know, we haven't seen it. Now, you know, by the way, Embiid is a little bit like that, you know, although he now shoots the threes as well. But good footwork, back to the basket, very traditional in that sense until he flies out to the three-point line. So um, we'll see. I, I can see them. What's that? He's shooting 50% from three. 
Yeah, you know, and they're wide open, so why yeah. not? I mean, I love watching him be play. So he's the guy. So you keep your eye on him and see if they can figure out their roster issues, uh, you know, and get they, they'll threaten, you know, sooner than later without question, just, just from him playing. So, uh, well, let's move on to our next question, which is Rangers Rule 1997. Uh, uh, obviously, an OKC fan asks, why do I hate Russell Westbrook so much? Uh, Lou Al Cinder, or Lou A.I. Cinder came in and, and actually chimed in for me a little bit nicely. Um, and, you know, the thing with Russ is I don't hate Russ. I have as much awe and respect for his play, the plays that he makes as anybody does. They are amazing. Um, he just is infuriating because of the decision making that he that he displays in you know a lot of the time. Now you know a couple different games he's done well recently and they've won. They're doing really well in the fourth quarters apparently of close games. So I got to look at that because I might do a video on that as well. Um, but you know he's got a pretty big body of work here uh, to show you that he's out of control and he barrels to the basket and misses a lot of those shots at the rim or or, or many shots at the rim. He's not bad at the rim. He's just not elite. And um, and then he takes threes when he shouldn't. Um, and that's a pro- and I, I guess it's just a complicated relationship. You're talking about a point guard and a coach. So the way I view, view the point guard specifically is different than a lot of other people do. And and so it's not. I don't hate him. I just um, it just it's it's uh, it's it's frustrating sometimes to watch him. Yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page with Russ. Um, you know, he is possibly the best athlete I've ever seen on a basketball court. I mean, like if I say that, like that, I don't mean that in a hyperbolic way. Like it's him or LeBron, and I, I go back and forth between the two of them. Um, I love to watch him play. I mean, he is like a ball of fury, and and like he's a threat to dunk on an entire team at any moment, and it's amazing. He's one of the best slashers to the hoop. Off ball, he's super dangerous. He just never plays off ball, and so like my issue is, I feel like I wonder if there's a coaching issue, like as far as him not being coachable um, because the flaws that are in his game have been there the whole time. There's not been a whole lot of growth as a player. He, uh, the fact that he still can't shoot threes, but he shoots seven a game. It, it that's, that's a, that's a mental issue. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan, I gave him a lot of crap over the summer because he doesn't shoot threes. What did he do? He went out and he got better at shooting at, at the things that he's already good at. <laughs> right. Getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line, shooting the mid range. And then occasionally he shoots the three because just to keep the defense honest. Whereas with Russ, you can just hang back because you know, if you leave him open, he's going to take a terrible shot. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really done much work on his mechanics. Now his mechanics are great. He jumps too high. Like it's easy, it's an easy fix. He just needs someone to work with him. And, and I don't know who the shooting coach is there. So I, I'm, I'm assuming an NBA shooting coach probably already knows this and has probably said it to him. But, but that really is the big thing with him is I just want to see better decision-making. Now, with that being said, he is a force of nature. He's a top, he's a top seven player in the league, which um, the league right now has more talent than it's ever had. So that's saying a lot. That means he's one, probably one of the 50 best players of all time. And, even with these mistakes, I just I just want him to be I want him to be the best player in the league. I right. want everybody to, to shoot for that. And so I've been accused of of being a Westbrook hater too, not as much as you because not as many people know me. Um, <laughs> but but at the same like I, but I'd love to watch him play. And and you know that fourth quarter thing is legit. He um in that one game where he carried him back, tied the game, took him into overtime, and then just just really closed it out. He was doing everything. And let's not overlook the fact that. Uh, Victor Oladipo is having his best season of his career playing next to him. So Russ's gravity is is allowing Oladipo to shoot like 42% on threes for yeah. a guy who 
The big knock has been he's not a shooter. So it is start. It is time to start revisiting that conversation about Westbrook. And he definitely is having an amazing season. Um, everybody wants him to be MVP, and I think if the MVP award was given out today, he probably wins it. Yeah. I, I, and then the other thing was, and someone mentioned this in the uh, in this thread about how I had posed the, uh, the 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 possibility that because he forces a lot of his shots when he's got two or three teammates who are standing wide open, you know that could that could ultimately make his teammates worse shooters because you know there's a certain rhythm that role players like to be able to have to be able to then shoot. You know, you, if you don't touch the ball for ten minutes at a time, it's kind of hard. It's harder. And, um, you know, that, that's a real – there's no proof in there. I have no scientific evidence that that's true or not. Um, and so, you know, that but, – but, you know, I think I tend to prefer to see the right play made. And, by the way, when you talk about LeBron compared to, like, to Russell Westbrook, LeBron has gotten crap for making that pass uh, too often. And he's the one that really seems to understand that more than anything and will sort of defer or get his teammates going um, in a way that, like, that's why I just don't, I never really felt like he should be the point guard. I feel like, you know, he'd be much better off the ball. And I know he's not like a spot of three point shooter, but imagine if there was some side to side motion, then he comes off of a screen into a handoff, and then bam, that would be the amazing stuff. And that would limit his decision making, you know, the capability or necessities. He would simply be able to go, have space, and just finish or, you know, make the easy one little pass and it's open. That's it. It's instead of having to done this all off of eight dribbles on the top of the key in the teeth of the defense. Russell Westbrook could be the greatest attacking wing in the history of the NBA if he played on the wing. And I bet his assist numbers wouldn't drop that much because he would draw every defender. Yeah. They would they would collapse really hard and you'd have an array of open people on the perimeter that could just stand there and shoot threes. And you're you're right about the rhythm thing. Think about guys coming off the bench. Or or think about, you know what? Let's make this easy. Think about when you go to the gym. Okay? If you pick up a ball cold and take a shot, how often are you making a three just right off the bat? Not often. And so when you're out there running around, it's even harder because you're tired. Yeah. So, you know, there is a thing to distributing the ball. Like this is why assists kind of matter in a way, right? Like I, I, w- I wish we would track hockey assists so you could really see who's who's passing. Um, but, yeah, R- Russell Westbrook's great. I just want him to be better. I think we're on the same page there. Absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, they, they do track hockey assists on the on Stats NBA page. Um, oh. So we could we could actually look that up at some point. So Oops. Uh, maybe, you know, well, anyway, well, while, while we're thinking about that, let's move on to our next discussion, which is uh, it's also a little bit more rough. So let's see if we can get through it. A hobo Jobo asks if Westbrook averages a triple double with 28 plus points per game. And I'm not even sure the points matter because it's, it's just so many as it is. Does he win MVP even if the Thunder are a six seed? And I think that I think that, yeah, if they get into the playoffs and he averages that, I think that's probably enough to get him the MVP. Wouldn't you say? Um. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, like the big thing is there hasn't been an MVP like since 1985. Michael Jordan's the only MVP from a team that was not a one or a two seed. Carl Malone, uh, the Jazz were a three seed the year he won it, but they were tied for first. And MJ um, should have won it that year, but okay, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the year that, that Jordan won it in 88, he had the greatest statistical season in the history of NBA on, on the offensive side, and he was also the defensive player of the year. So – the the precedent has been that Russ, even as a six seed, wouldn't win. Um, I think that he would get quite a few votes, but if James Harden keeps up what he's doing and the Rockets somehow sneak into a two seed, yeah. it's gonna be it'll be Harden. It, and and I think KD will get a lot of consideration. Although Steph Curry is 
kind of outscoring him right now with all of the other stuff KD's doing. Um, you know, he's averaging a couple blocks a game. He's like most steal or a, a steal and a half or something like that. Like he's going to be on the all defensive team, KD. Yeah. Um, so I think KD, you know, because they're going to be the number one seed. I think KD is probably the favorite. But if Russell Westbrook won, I wouldn't argue. If he's averaging a triple double, I mean, that's incredible. Hell, Absolutely. You know what? Carrying this team to the playoffs is incredible. He has he has nobody around him. I actually I'm impressed with what he's done already. I like their team, so I don't. I wouldn't say there's nobody around them. I like I like the pieces. In fact, the pieces they have are kind of like the Bulls putting those little role, all the role players around him. That then obviously they're missing the Scottie Pippen, who would have been like the KD kind of guy. But uh, it, it reminds me a lot, of, a lot like that actually, where they have those guys. Uh, the difference being that they they had a real system of basketball that would move the ball and predicated on attacking the defense's weaknesses where uh, it, it was the opposite's true in OKC where they, they attack right into the strength of the defense and, you know, and make it a lot harder on themselves. So that way, that would be an interesting breakdown as well to compare, you know, those Bulls teams to the OKC teams with the both of them playing because, you know, there's a style thing there that's cool. That's interesting to compare and contrast. So, yeah. um, and by the way, I guess we just answered the next question by Hector Butler as well, which is who is our MVP? Uh, you know, I, without question, Harden, if he gets, I, even if he gets the third seed, I feel like they could get it. Um, and if not, then Russ, and I just, I think that KD is going to be watered down by Steph too much. Kind of like how Russ and KD would do, would kind of cancel each other out as well. But, you know, it's, it's kind of silly. I, I, the whole process seems to be a little bit frustrating. Uh, that and the uh, Hall of Fame, just, I, I don't always understand what, what's going on there. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I actually think they need to kind of switch the awards up. I would love if uh, most improved was breakout player because that's what it is. Um, you know, usually it's a guy that his stats are basically the same per 36, but he gets more minutes, so his counting stats are higher. Um, I wish they would do like the NFL with a an offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, and an MVP. Huh. Right? You know, like that would make sense to me. Like because yeah. Russell Westbrook would obviously be the offensive player of the year. Yeah, that's that. That is. I don't like the NFL. I'll probably have to delete all references uh, to it in this podcast. But <laughs> that's not a bad idea. So yeah, you know, we'll see. Maybe we can lobby for that. We'll see how much. Well, more awards. We have. Like, come on, they're all made up anyway. So you know, like, let's add a couple more. Like, who cares? Yeah, everyone. Everyone gets a, a trophy. Absolutely. Well, that's not what I mean. But there's certainly <laughs> other ways to to show that someone's performance was valuable, right? Like, um. Yes. And Russell Westbrook, if he averages a triple-double and doesn't win MVP, there's a legit gripe there, especially if he gets him into the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Well, well, we'll have to see how that works. Uh, let's move on to our next question, which is from Too Much Saws. Would Clay be good as the focal point of an offense? This is a fantastic question. Um, you know, we saw him score 60 uh, in the most efficient way anyone's ever done it. And, um, you know, it, we, we hear a lot of criticism of people like, oh, they're system players. Like you hear like Kawhi in, in the system is whatever. And then you watch Kawhi ISO three, four times on, on like LeBron and just nail it in his face. You're like, that's not a system player. So Clay, without question, is the guy who I thought might, might lead the team in scoring uh, this year because of all the extra stuff that's going on with the other two guys. Uh, which would then probably indicate that he's not the kind of guy who should be a focal point in the offense. Um, so I don't know. He's never going to be a guy who's going to bring the ball up and run a pick and roll right away and like break somebody down and whatever. That's not his game anyway. So I, I guess no. Is that the answer he's looking for? Yeah, I, I would say, I would say no. I, I think Clay benefits from the guys that are around him, and it, this isn't to say that Clay isn't great. He's fantastic. He, he can he can actually create his own shot in a limited fashion. 
right? Not yeah. in the Steph Curry way, not in the Kevin Durant way, but um, you know, he did score 60 points and only dribbled the ball 11 times, which as a coach, I love, um, you know, I, I preach catch and shoot and being ready to, to score. And I love that. So I love Clay's game, but I, I think, Again, this is a philosophical thing. I think this whole idea of focal point of the offense, the focal point of the offense is to put the ball in the basket. That's the focal point of the offense. It's not like one guy. Um, I get what he's saying, more like the fulcrum of the offense. And no, for sure. A a spot-up shooter, um, which, you know, Clay is a better version of like a Reggie Miller or someone like that. Yeah. Um, But no. He's, he, I don't think he can be good. He, he'd be fine. He'd probably average 20 a game just because he can shoot. But the no, he's not He's not Ray Allen, young Ray Allen. So. Right, uh, right. I, 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 I think I, I agree with that. It's, it, you know, it's, it's splitting hairs to some degree because, you know, he's terrific and, he, and we shouldn't diminish what he can do. But, uh, yeah, I don't see him doing that, like, you know, if he's the best player on their team, on a team, I don't think he can do that as easily. But, yeah, I, easily 20 points and, you know, nailing threes for sure. Um, well, let's move on to our next question. Squilliam Fancyson IRL uh, asks, how, if at all, have the Bulls improved schematically this year? Do you have any feelings for that, Dave? They haven't. You know, they, it's so they, weird. It's, 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 same, same, uh, samesies. Go ahead. Yeah, they're winning games. Like Jimmy Butler last night, Kawhi Leonard did a fantastic job on him. And then what the Bulls did, which a lot of teams are starting to do, this is part of why Kawhi's defensive numbers look terrible right now. Um when Kawhi's guarding a guy, he just goes and hangs out in the corner. So Jimmy Butler was like 4 of 15 or something last night. But what Jimmy Butler did was a lot of hustle plays. He got two offensive rebounds in the last like minute and a half to seal that game. Um, so it's more like they're winning on guts and hustle. Uh, and, and Dwayne Wade is still good, uh, at least offensively. Um, but no, they haven't. They haven't improved schematically at all. They haven't really changed anything. Um, Rondo kind of mucks things up uh, for their spacing. Obviously, you know, like they've got spacing issues. Even though Butler and Wade have shot well, but no, I haven't seen anything. Uh, you know, I'm going to change this question. Is Hoiberg a good coach? Oh well, you know, I was talking with someone who had worked with Hoiberg at Iowa State, Iowa, Iowa State. I would say I would say and uh, and you know there's no question that he's not really doing what he would want to do and it's it's been that way since he took over it wasn't supposed to be that way and um, and so I feel like he's just got his hands in his pocket being like I don't know what I can't I'm I'm, I'm completely hamstrung here Uh, I you know I can't get the offense I want to run because we got now we got Wade and Rondo and these guys and these these real um, you know uh, strong people in the locker room who are pushing it would push against it I guess so for him he's probably just sort of like uh, you know reduced to a very average you know kind of coaching job where he's going to do what he's you know whatever they can get to the players to do which is too bad so i think he's probably a lot better uh normally in different situations but um he's sort of stuck in this in the, in the situation he's in now okay let me follow that up by with a, a general coaching question okay if a coach can only coach the way he wants to coach is he actually a good coach like so look at what greg popovich does he adjusts his system to his personnel. I think that that, to me, that's what a coach does. He says, okay, well, I have this. How do I make this work? And so I, I kind of – I want to call you out just for giving him an excuse that he's not able to run his system with the guys he has because I, I think that you probably agree with me on this, right? Um, well, the only question is why is he not running the system? Is it because 
he tried to do it, and the, the players like kind of like said no, I'm, or I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Or I mean, because I understand in some respects, some of the actions maybe were like, ah, it doesn't work with these these five or whatever. But I don't know. I got the impression that it's more about these some of the players that were on the team just sort of saying. Uh, you know, no, like, no, or I don't know, like, right, because you want a certain flexibility in your system that you can now, like, the triangle for me is so flexible, I can That's just adjust I it to whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, his stuff should be the same way, but uh, for whatever happened, and there's probably a book that they could be written about this, something happened where I have to imagine he came in there and was like training camp that first year and started to try and put this in, and they're all like, and some, some reason he's like, okay, never mind. Like, right? There's no other explanation for it. He just went, never mind. We'll just do this pick and roll stuff and we'll do whatever and uh, and look just like a regular NBA team. I, I, I don't yeah. know how else to explain it. Yeah. I, I mean, again, though, I, like I think that Hoiberg is, you know, I think he's getting a little bit of a pass. Like guy, coaches need to figure out how to make it work. And, and you know, I don't want to sound like a like a coach hater, but there's a lot of coaches that do this. They try to pigeonhole their you know the players that they have into their system and i hate that like that's why when i was talking about tom thibodeau maybe he has to change his scheme to to adapt to his players um so i just i think that that the schematics of the bulls offense has not improved or even changed i haven't seen anything uh different offensively from them but but i think it's time to start questioning hoiberg's ability i mean let's say he he tried to put a system in and the players aren't responding. That's a failure on his part too. His job is to coach. And if the guys won't play for him, I mean, certainly that's a problem with them, but they're the ones that are the product. You know, he's got to come in and, and mold and teach that product. And he's got to get through them somehow, through to them somehow. So, yeah, I think I, it's... I, it, I agree. They're, they're actually a little bit ahead of themselves from last year, at least, uh, after getting rid of um, uh, Pau Gasol. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They didn't get rid of Pau Gasol. I have my mind. After adding, um, you know, um, Dwayne Wade, a little bit more uh, talent, but not much more sure. on, on pace. So, yeah, it, it, you're right. It, it's a, I, I get frustrated watching it just because I just know that there's that the, he, for, for whatever reason, he's just not able to do what he would prefer to do. And uh, but you're, and that way, on the flip side, that might not yield any different results either. Like we, we don't know sure. that either. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting uh, dilemma there. So well, we have a few more minutes. So let's see if we can't get a couple more questions in here. What do you say? Yeah, um, I actually see a really great one from uh, MCB25. I, I love this question. Um, every year there are steals in the second round of the draft. What are some skills that you think teams should be placing more value on in order to have success with their later picks? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah. And did you read that Darryl, the Daryl Morey article, uh, or it's an excerpt from the uh, the book coming out by um... – Oh my God, Michael Lewis! I saved it and I haven't had a chance to read it. It's on my reading list for the weekend. It's awesome, and you know, and, and it's a lot of stuff we've kind of heard already from before, uh, but sort of in one spot. And uh, and they talk a little bit about this notion of like, yeah, how do I identify these picks, uh, especially like in in the second round? Um, so let's see, what are some skills that you think teams should be placing more value on? Well, obviously, that the three and D thing, right, must be the most premium thing that they're looking for these days, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the hardest to find, especially in that six six to six nine height range. You know, long arms, th- things like that. But I'm gonna flip this question again. God, I keep doing this, but this question, I-, I say, flip it on the front office and the coaching staff. What skills should the front office and coaching staff be looking for in their own staff? 
Okay, instead of in the players, look at what the Spurs do. And, you know, it always goes back to the Spurs because they are the best at finding these diamonds in the rough. Mm -hmm. Player development is such a huge component to success in the second round of the NBA draft. You can get a guy like Jonathan Simmons, who is in the D League, the Spurs snatch him up, and look at what they've done with him. Look at Danny Green. Danny Green was, was cut from the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know. He was out of basketball. He was cut once by the Spurs. So, and, and you know, I, I had this conversation about the Clippers with their lack of wing depth or quality wings um, because they don't put a focus on player development. So that's what I would say. I, I think start in-house, you know, in what you can for sure control. The draft is a crapshoot, and especially after pick 15, it's even worse. Oh, yeah. So if they focus internally and say, you know what, if we get a guy – who is able to be drafted in the NBA draft. Like you're going to be one of the elite players in the world if, if you're even in the discussion. Even if you're a late second rounder, you're still an elite player. Right. Um, if we focus in-house, okay, now we can take one of these elite players and we can mold them to the guy we want. Right, and, that, and there's a couple things about that. One, I think that they shy away too much from older players or players who played two or three or four years in college because who cares, you know, 10 years from now if you're going to lose a year or two there. I, I don't right. see why that really has any bearing. And so, you know, that, that shouldn't be a thing that they're scared about. And, and every time they you hear that, you know, look at the Warriors. When they won, almost every player on their roster played at least two or three or four years in college. They all played Absolutely. a lot of number of years in college. Um, and so I think, and, and, and the way they play basketball, they were a great team and they respected each other. They respected the coach. I mean, there's got to be a, a connection there. Um, but I think the other thing about the, the, the player development that the Spurs do is they understand how to train the people in their drills that directly mimic the way they run their offense. They're organized enough to understand how to break these things down, whereas you watch a lot of players in the offseason or whatever, and they're doing the sort of traditional, uh, very generic things, which they might not ever shoot in the game. And meanwhile, you've wasted all that time in the summer doing these shots that you think are really important, when in fact, you know what? You are never going to catch a fade pass to the right corner for a three. You know, and right. you're practicing that every day. Like it's it's really mind boggling that, that more of that is not paid attention to. And uh, the players that do do that and, and do have even maybe a little, they might have somebody who helps them a little bit in the off season. Like certainly they they uh, they're shooting really well right now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I don't know who's to credit or not who's to blame, but certainly when you really get focused on what you should be training on, there's no question you're going to improve and you're going to be able to find those little nuggets. So that's that's a real key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, think about Danny Green. Like, one of the big knocks on him is that he still can't dribble the ball. But how often does he have to? Right. You know, you know yeah. By the way, Harrison Barnes, gotta, you know, he's not yeah. getting assists. Well, he shouldn't be getting assists. His role is to shoot the damn ball. And he's going to yeah, catch it with 10 seconds on the shot clock and do whatever, and that's what he's going to do. Uh, but, yes, and that's not even a, a skill thing. But you're right. That's his role. And he knows his role perfectly. And he almost won a uh, finals MVP from it. Absolutely. And it, well, and he got paid pretty well to do it. And, and the Spurs treat it like an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, like, all right, you're a plumber. I'm going to teach you how to be a plumber. I'm not going to teach you how to be an electrician and hope that some of those skills show up. You know, I, I just I obviously the Spurs, everyone knows that they're the best at this. There are other teams that are really good at it. the Hawks have done a good job. What they did with uh, Bazemore um, has been fantastic. I mean, coming from where he was, like they, they've come a long way. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there are a lot of teams that are good at this, and they, they tend to be the ones that are better at drafting in the second round. 
Weird how that works out. Weird, absolutely. And at some point, you can't. It is a complete crapshoot for any of those picks, even up at the top too. Uh, but at some point, when you look at enough of those picks, you have to figure that somebody's got something right. But it's not just the GMs and those guys picking the players. They all have to be on the same page with the coaching staff and understand how that they can. Oh, I yeah, I know this guy, and I know we could work with him and make him do this and that, and it'd be perfect. Like if that if that's not there, then it, it makes it even less likely that they're going to get anything out of them. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's, and that, that's the key here. Now, have the, have the Spurs won a title off of that? Yes, they certainly have, uh, and it's been a little while. So we'll have to find out if that's going to, you know, going to, going to get them up over the hump this year. I, I don't think it will uh, to throw a Spurs uh, prediction in there. Do you think they have a chance of winning a title? Uh, no, and, and and you know, like if I could go off on a tangent quickly, um, their Dwayne Dedman signing was fantastic. He's not getting enough minutes. Like that's that's my big Spurs oh. take. Pal Gasol's playing too much. Dwayne Dedman's not playing enough. The guy's a good defender. He's athletic. He makes game winning plays. Like he is he's a good basketball player. And again, the Spurs identifying talent and getting it cheap. Um so but I, I don't think Pop is gonna go with that. At least I, I don't expect him to. Oh, I, I do. I think that we're going to start to see because you know he, he respects uh, work like that, and I don't think he's going to be beholden to a Paul Gasol who's got like a contract or expectations. So, well, I, I would imagine we're going to start seeing a lot less minutes of Paul Gasol in the fourth quarter, and you know, like they used to do for Carlos Boozer back in the day with uh, with uh, wherever he was played with, with the Bulls. And yeah. uh, and you know, by the way, just I had made some mentions to Paul Gasol on the Bulls as if it was this year when I was last year. I was looking at the wrong page. So that yeah, and that was what was happening last night you know how many times are guys going to go like pull up or shoot a layup in Paul Gasol's face it's like he they can't have him in there because his defense is that bad yeah and and Kawhi is taking the brunt of it uh from a public perception standpoint they're like oh well Kawhi's defense was obviously overrated no teams are just basketball coaches are not dumb so when Kawhi's guarding Jimmy Butler you stick him in the corner because you know Kawhi is disciplined he's not going to help off the the strong side corner so, yeah, it's I, – I don't know. I predicted this during the summer, and, and, and I knew that the defense would struggle. I just didn't think that um, – I, I thought Pop would have, would have found a way to work around it. But Gasol is just – I mean, he's, you know, he's 36 years old. We know what he is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just quickly checking his splits real quick as we wrap up here. And um, I'm waiting for the per games to come up because this, this is a very slow site. But basically, there's a really big drop-off in the fourth quarter. It's very um, – it looks pretty steady across the other uh, quarters where he plays you know, very similar minutes across. And then, bam, fourth quarter, it drops off. And I would be surprised if it continues to drop off farther when they need you know, better defense and important. Basically, he's playing about you know, se- uh, seven and a half minutes per game in the first three quarters, and that drops down to 6.6. Like a whole minute, and he's he's played 22 games in the first, 21 in the second, 22 in the third. He's only appeared in the fourth quarter in 15 games. Now, wow. blowouts could be part of it or whatever, but certainly that's you know there's another chance where he's not even playing in the fourth quarter in a lot of these games. So uh, so keep your eye on that. And also keep your eye on our regular podcast, which we're going to have to continue doing because this one was great. The next one will be better and we'll continue enthralling and giving people what they want. That's right, which is more me, right? No. Yes, I talk too much. We'll let you talk some more. No um, way. No you can way. drive no. next time. <laughs> yeah, no, this was great. I, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did the mailbag. Um, those questions were, were fantastic. So hopefully we have 
even more uh, next week. Yeah, and maybe we'll hop on Twitter to answer the other ones we didn't get to. And uh, again, awesome stuff. Thanks for coming on. Can't wait for the next ones. Don't forget to check out Coach Dave's, uh, his own podcast, That Guy Basketball Podcast. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants. Participating stores.